0: This is a word that I think is in season because when, when we plan this and we put 2 Timothy chapter 1 today, uh, we may not necessarily have figured out this is what God's going to say, but every time God says something, it has its place and its time. And so I really believe even as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 today, we're going to see God speak to us and it doesn't matter whether you're a leader or you're not. This is a challenge that God is going to give to each and every one of us. Would you build a faith that lasts generations? We're starting the series on 2 Timothy. and For the next few weeks, right up to early December, we're going to look at the four chapters of 2 Timothy. We're starting today with 2 Timothy chapter 1. So can I just encourage you to take out your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 right now. My message today is faith that lasts generations. So let me start out with a couple of examples. I was on Instagram a couple of days ago. Well, to be fair, I'm on Instagram every day. (laughs) But uh, a couple of days ago, I saw this advert. And it didn't really hit me. I mean, you see adverts all the time, right? But I saw this particular advert um, of a tea shop right, selling tea, all right? Nice cold brew, hot brew, all sorts of things, all right? So so it's a tea shop. And it's a very nice-looking advert of the shop. It looked like a hipster cafe, except that it sells tea. And and the one thing that caught my mind as I was going through that advert was this little line that they said, this is a family business that has lasted over 90 years. Nine zero years. 90 years ago, there was no such thing as a hipster cafe. 90 years ago, no one would be talking about cold brew. 90 years ago, tea was tea. Now you got matcha. But 90 years ago, business looked different than 90 years later. And some of you run family businesses, whether big or small, you know, for a business to last 90 years through its seasons, through its eras, through the changing of the times, it's not easy, not difficult. Sorry, not impossible, but not easy. And so these are things that caught my attention. Wow, 90 years. And oftentimes, we hear instead of family legacies and family businesses, that end up getting dissipated, squandered. And sometimes you wonder, when you want to pass on a, a business to the next generation, you ask yourself, will it actually last? But this one, 90 years. Closer to home, I thank God for the blessing that God has poured into my family so that my parents were able to set me up into adulthood, into working life, into setting up my family. And now the question then for me is this, would I be able to pass this legacy on to my children financially, for example? This is the question we get asked often. Do you have enough to support your family? I've got four kids. I am so blessed by the way. Thank God. I am so blessed to be able to go up in the lift. You know who you are, uncle. Uh, actually, I probably won't call you uncle, brother. Who came up on the lift with four kids as well. Um, I'm just a couple of years behind you <laughs> but do you have enough to support do you have enough to pass it pass this legacy on to the next generation and then for them to pass it on to their next generation I was going through KL the other day just getting back to office and so the couple of us in the car and uh, uh, one of us uh, pointed out because we so happened to be passing by this road that my colleagues grandfather's name is on. So this is like Jalan so-and-so, that so-and-so is my colleague's grandfather. If, if she ran on that road and they said, your grandfather's road ah? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for whatever reason, DPKL has not changed that road name, and so she gets to say, this is, this is legacy. My father's, my grandfather's name is there. I may not even know him. I may not even have gotten anything out of his will, but my grandfather's name is there. That's my grandfather's road. The point is this, and all of us, I believe, desire to pass on a legacy for the generations that come after us. All of us desire to pass on a legacy to the generations that come after us. Oftentimes we look at it in a financial sense. Like I pass on a family business or I pass on this, this amount of wealth that I have amassed to the next generation so that they will pass it on to the next generation. Property. Sometimes it's reputation. Like I lift a good name. I lift out a good name for myself. I want my family to continue to honour that name. Honour that good name. Rather than if one of my children or grandchildren start doing something nasty and they go, his grandfather is rolling in his grave, man. I want to pass on a, a, good, a good name. Sometimes even just relationally, like Chinese New Year, when everybody gathers at grandma's house, or for some of you, at great-grandmother's house. An old great-grandmother, matriarch of the family. She wakes up in the morning, prepares all the ang pao for all the grandchildren, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And then she has this little view of all the family coming together. And she goes, "Wow, legacy. The great grandchildren will remember me after I give them the angpao." <laughs> but there's this legacy. It's, it's like a very nice Chinese New Year Petronas advertisement. This generations, and so we all desire to pass on a legacy to the generations that come after us. And when I look at Second Timothy, in fact First Timothy as well, you will see this same desire in the heart of paul he wants to pass on a legacy we know he does not have kids or he did not have kids he wasn't married did not have kids but to timothy specifically in those two letters of course timothy is not the only one but to timothy he calls him my true son in the faith my beloved son in second timothy chapter 1 verse 2 my beloved son my true son in the faith and while we may not be physically related or you're not my natural child for all intents and purposes you are my son and so he writes this letter to Timothy not just encouraging him but passing on something of his own journey and his own life and his own faith to Timothy he wants to pass it on and that is a very valid desire it's a very valid desire remember the lady who washed Jesus's feet the woman who came with this alabaster jar, and by the way, alabaster jars don't look like big jars of water. That's, that's a whole lot of alabaster and a whole lot of oil. No, an alabaster jar was very small, carrying essential oil to worship Jesus, and it was very, very expensive. How did Jesus acknowledge this woman? Besides forgiving her, he tells the people. Who were ridiculing what she had done by washing Jesus' feet with her hair and with the oil. By saying, in Matthew 26, 13, he says, Wherever this gospel, this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's the reason why you know the story. That 2,000 years later, Generations and generations and generations of believers will remember this woman for what she had done. She had poured out her time and energy and money, all valued up in that oil, in that jar, to worship and honor Jesus. Her recognition? That this story will be passed on from generation to generation. And it will continue. It won't end here. It will continue till kingdom come. In fact, I'd be quite interested to meet her when all of us come before Jesus and worship Him. I'm not quite sure what language I will use at that time, but we'll leave it to then. So what does Paul do in his first portion of this letter to Timothy? He's, he's doing this to encourage him. He's saying two things. He's reminding Timothy of his heritage of faith. And the second one is he's challenging him to pass it on. As he starts 2 Timothy, he's telling Timothy, you have a spiritual heritage, but it will not end with you. You are going to pass it on, and I'm challenging you to do it. Church, today, you are a recipient and a beneficiary of the spiritual heritage that God has given to you. Where you are today, your life, and it does not matter, and I will explain why. It does not matter whether you're a first-generation Christian in your family. It does not matter whether you have been a believer for the past 30 to 40 years. You have a spiritual heritage. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is recognize that heritage and pass it on. Pass it on to the generations that will come. Pass it on. Build a faith that will last generations so i'm going to start with second timothy chapter 1 verse 3 to 5 i thank god whom i serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as i remember you constantly in my prayers night and day as i remember your tears i long to see you that i may be filled with joy i pause here fathers. How many of you love to come back home and they see your little kid come? And he says, I long to see you so that my heart will be filled with joy. My son has just started walking. That comes with two implications. One, he can go wherever he wants to go, which is a problem in the shopping mall. But two, if he wants to come to me, you know, you know the heart of God when when his children come to him he says draw near to me and i will draw near to you that's the heart filled with joy looking at his son coming to him paul is describing that in first second timothy chapter 1 verse 3 as i remember your tears i long to see you that i may be filled with joy verse 5 i am reminded of your sincere faith A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well." Paul is reminding Timothy that you are a beneficiary of a faith that has passed through generations. And the first one that's probably the most obvious one is what kind of generation is he talking about or what kind of generational faith is he talking about? There are two types, and the first and more obvious one is the one in that sentence, I am reminded of your sincere faith, but then he describes that faith as one that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. I want to point out a few things. Historically, in Acts chapter 16, records Paul's first encounter with Timothy, and it is in that scenario uh, that Paul meets Timothy his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. In Acts 16, Paul is essentially going to the Gentile churches and expressing to them what had taken place in Acts chapter 15, the chapter before, where the council in Jerusalem had to answer a very important question. If you were a Jewish believer, and now if you a Jewish believer versus a Gentile believer, what are some of the actual rituals or practices that would be required of you as a Gentile believer to be in the family of God, to be in the church, and be considered as part of this family with the Jewish believers. One important thing that they were told they were not expected to do is be circumcised. And so the Gentile believers did not go through this particular Jewish rite of circumcision, but all these Gentile believers who were not sure what the decision was, now need to know. And so the council in Jerusalem sent Paul and Silas to places like Lystra and Derbe in modern-day Turkey. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 16. And that is where Paul meets Timothy. He's bringing a message to the church in Lystra and Derbe. He meets Timothy there. And what the Bible tells us in Acts 16 is that Timothy, by that time, was a man who was very well spoken of. He had a character, a behavior, nature about him that was acceptable, not just acceptable, commendable in the church at Lystra and Derby. But a bit about Timothy. The Bible tells us in Acts 16 that his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. Father Gentile, mother Jewish. It was quite clear that the Gentile father did not convert to Judaism when they got married. And so as a result of that, Timothy was not circumcised. Part of the covenant ritual that would have gone into the That would have been adopted into the family as Jews. So that tells us a bit about his parentage. But when Paul decides to take him then to bring this, to to mentor him and to guide him and to lead him and to raise him up and disciple him, he brings him on to pass, to, to come with him to pass that message to the other churches where he was going to tell these believers, You don't have to be circumcised. But where those churches are there were jewish believers and there were gentile believers and so to make the message more acceptable and more easily accepted by the people that were bringing the message to the bible tells us he got timothy circumcised to make that message relevant but throughout the entire journey paul begins this relationship with timothy he calls timothy his son And sometimes we look at it as, oh, this is a mentor-mentee relationship. Yes, but more than that, he calls Timothy his son. He cares for him. He guides him. He disciples him. He raises him up. He trains him. He nurtures him into the man that he is when Paul is writing these letters to him. But this very interesting thing, and this is what I want to point out, first of all, after we've talked about a bit of history, is Paul recognizes two specific people in the heritage, the spiritual heritage that Timothy has received. He mentions grandma, and he mentions mom. Grandma Lois, mother Eunice. So the first thing I want to say today about what Paul says here is this. Mothers. Mothers, you are recognized in Scripture for what you do. And all the husbands go, (laughs) huh? Really? uh? Yes, inside here. There is no mention about Timothy's father and what he did. We don't even know whether he converted or not. Most likely he did because my guess is if if he allowed, if if, if Timothy was going to get circumcised, perhaps some parental blessing may have been required. But the point is this. Paul recognizes grandma and mom, and he says that faith that you now have was a faith that, felt, that dwelt first in grandma and in mom and now in you as well. What I think was clear to Paul is that the heritage of faith he could see was being passed on from grandma to mom and then to Tim. Sorry, I'll use Tim once in a while just because Tim works. Um, To Grandma Lois, Mother Eunice, and then to Tim. And maybe because he spent some time with them and he observed this with himself, with his own eyes, that these two women were actively involved in it, in passing on that faith. But there is one thing I think is very clear, just from my looking at mothers, looking at my own experience, that I want to point out. I know it's not Mother's Day, but it should be said nonetheless. Mothers, you are warriors. Yeah, yeah, yeah! (laughs) Applaud! (laughs) Applaud, mothers, right? (laughs) You think of your own mom, you think of your wife, you be thinking of your daughters who are mothers, you are warriors. I don't know if you're, you're with me on this, but every time I see a woman warrior, I think of this old character on TV last time. I just heard that name for Pastor Isaac, Zina. But you're warriors, and you don't have to know how to do self-defense. You're warriors in your heart, and what do you fight for? You fight for the faith of your children. I know, yes, you fight for the physical needs of your children as well. That's very important. But I know also that you fight for the faith of your children. And on the authority of Scripture, regardless of what day it is today, you are recognised. You are recognised. So I thought about this and I said, God, what what kind of... um, image do you give to me to understand this whole warrior thing, it's not Zena. Zena, as far as I know, wasn't married, didn't have kids. In fact, I think I was not allowed to watch that show. I just saw the advertisement me because my mother said no. But the image that I had of, 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 of mothers is this little game we played when we were in school called Mother Hen or Hen and the Chicks or Hen and the Eagle. You know that story, okay? So, amongst other games that we've played, like Cola Lala and, and, and Police and Tifla and all that, we played this hand and the chicks or hand and eagle mother hand game, all right? And if you don't remember this, let me just remind you mother hand stands in front, arms are stretched outside. The idea was to protect her chicks. Her chicks are all your classmates whose hands are on each of their shoulders, one line at the back there, and the longer the line, the harder it is for mother hand to take care of her chicks because. Opposite this mother hen is an eagle. And his desire is to basically pick off one of the chicks. And the role of the mother hen is to protect her chicks by making sure the eagle does not touch the chicks. And it does not matter whether mother hen is a guy or a girl, we're inclusive that way. But especially if it's a guy who defends his chicks, You see this mother character come out from God knows where. Now you've got strength, energy, and motherhood. Just whack the falerno. Stay away from my chicks. Within the time limited for you to catch any one of my chicks, you stay away. Mothers are warriors. You are warriors for the faith of your children. And I want to to say this, because mothers, you already exhibit this. I am not up here telling you what you need to be. You already are. I am here saying, just as Paul recognized the life of Eunice and Lois, God sees you. God knows how hard you fought God knows the difficult times and the struggles and the thoughts and the concerns and the worries and the anxieties and how you surrender it to God and say, God, I desire that my children will continue in the faith that I now have. He sees that. And I just want to say that. He sees you. I stand here today also because of my mother's unwavering faith and how she guarded her home spiritually. My dad as well, but what I'm saying here is they're very different ways, and both of them exercise this characteristic of fighting for their children's faith. And mothers, you do it very well. Be assured of that. God sees it. God acknowledges it. He knows. Which brings me to a little advertisement. Strong rally. The last time i spoke here i said you only got 997 seats because i took three i took three idea huh? your turn your parents if your parents bring your kids grandparents sign your grandchildren up now the point is is not that um, we take part in an activity alone or an event that church is doing you're telling your children and your grandchildren this is worth you going for when i sign you up when i pay for this 1111 or so 79 ringgit When I pay for this, it's not about the money. It's about the fact that I want you to hold on to a faith that even if it's 79 or 129 or 1129 or so, I will make sure that you will have a faith and you will experience an encounter with God and hold on to the faith that I've been holding on to. That's the point. That's why I'm telling you sign up your children and your grandchildren. And for some of you, your great-grandchildren. But sign them up because you want them to have an opportunity to encounter God. I mean, you're telling them this is worth going for. This is worth fighting for. This is worth paying some money for. But the other thing to recognize is this. First of all, I want to honor mothers. But second, I want to encourage all of you here. You don't need years of faith to have a faith that lasts generations. I want to address something that's very often said in 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 church especially for a church that has that has had believers who have had years and years and years of journeying with god which is great but if you're a church and and that's what we are we're a church that is still reaching out there will be many here who have come to know jesus in the past two three four five years and sometimes when we talk about this generational faith it almost seems to us like i've had to clock 20 years standing before i pass something on and what 2nd Timothy chapter 1 tells us is this, that is not true. You do not need years of faith to have a faith that lasts generations. Why do I say that? Lois and Eunice were staying in Lystra and Derby. If you did the math, Lois and Eunice did not become believers when they were kids. When they were kids, Jesus had not died, had not resurrected, had not ascended into heaven. Pentecost had not happened. Not just did Pentecost not yet happen when they were still younger. The Stephen had not died. The persecution had not taken place. The dispersion of the church into Samaria, into Antioch in Syria, and all the way to Turkey had not taken place. And so by the time the gospel actually went to Turkey, You're looking at it approximately AD 40, AD 45. And by that time, Lois and Eunice, and maybe Timothy would have already been, sorry, Lois and Eunice would have been already adults, probably married, Eunice especially, and Timothy would have already been born. Possibly, all three generations came to know Jesus at the same time. When the gospel was spoken to them at that time. And then about five to ten years on, Paul comes bringing this message from the council in Jerusalem. He meets Timothy, who by that time is probably in his late teens. But because he's seen Timothy at that age and thinks this guy is worth discipling, worth raising, I want to take him in under my wing, he brings Timothy on. But the point is this, Lois and Eunice may have only been believers for about five years. And by the time that Paul met them, they have been believers for perhaps as long as some of you who have just recently come to know Jesus in the past five years or so. So we're in fact talking about people who have just come to know Jesus. You may have come to know Jesus at last Christmas or last Easter. Maybe stretch forward, uh, stretch back a bit more. Uh, Maybe you were at one of our Alpha courses. Perhaps you were, if, if I backdated a bit more, maybe you were in one of our revival rallies, E16, perhaps, seven years ago, and you encountered God, and, and that was a powerful encounter for you because by that encounter, you became convicted of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ over your life, and you said, yes, I am going to follow Jesus. And now you come listening to me talk about a faith that lasts generations, and you're like, well, maybe give me another 10 more years I've got enough of my journey with God to pass it on to the next generation. I'm only right now a baby Christian. My encouragement to you is this. You call yourself a baby Christian? Who's counting? 2 Timothy 1 tells us, even baby Christians can build a faith that lasts generations who's counting I've seen Christians who have just come to know Jesus bring more people to Jesus who's counting I've seen parents who have just become believers and their kids are in secondary school and they become believers and then they spend time doing family altar they're passing on a faith that will last generations who's counting My encouragement to you, church, is this. No matter how old you are as a Christian, you can build a faith that will last generations. Here's the thing you've got to do. Guard your deposit. Guard what? We'll look into that a bit more later, but I want to just say this. It is not about how much you have collected and amassed before you pass it on to the next generation. It is what you do now that will build a faith that will last generations. And what Paul says to Timothy here is to guard your deposit. Before I go into what that means, I want to talk about a second spiritual, sorry, a second generational faith that is described here in 2 Tim- Timothy chapter 1. And it is a spiritual bloodline. Lois, Eunice, and Timothy is representative of a physical bloodline. But some of you here, you are first-generation Christians. You don't have the benefit of your parents or your grandparents having been believers, and then you joining into this family of faith. And what Paul is telling Timothy here is this, not just am I recognizing that you're a beneficiary of your physical bloodline generational faith, you are also a beneficiary of a spiritual bloodline. And he says this in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, and he says that, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience as i remember you and so if i'm standing in in in, in paul's position right now paul is saying i thank god whom i serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as i remember you and so there's this ancestor paul timothy generational faith on a spiritual bloodline that dates all the way back to abraham and when you become a believer, you're not new in the sense that oh, I'm, this is a new venture I'm joining in. I'm I'm going to start a new business. No, you are joining into a spiritual heritage that has lasted at least four thousand years, if not more, dating to the days of Abraham. You are a part of the family. That's that's why it's possible for for Scripture to say we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Because these are your fathers, your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers, your ancestors in the spiritual heritage that you now have. Therefore, run that race. Run that race. There is a spiritual bloodline. But it's important in Paul's case, when he tells Timothy about the spiritual bloodline, to tell Timothy, pass it on. Whether you're married, not married, whether really you got kids or no kids, you pass this on to the ones who come after you. Several times in 2 Timothy, I'm just going to go through them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations. What you've heard from me and trust to faithful men who will then teach it on to others also. And so you pass on this spiritual legacy, this spiritual heritage from generation to generation to generation that's the spiritual bloodline but in order to pass on this faith in order to build a faith that will last generations whether it is physical to your children and your grandchildren or whether it is spiritual for your spiritual sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters the key thing is to guard your deposit everybody say guard your deposit some of you in your Bibles, the guard your deposit or guard the deposit is at the title. I'm not taking it from there. I'm taking it from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. It says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do we do this? Before I do that, understand this. I want you to do this. I want you to guard the deposit, so that just as you have received a spiritual heritage, you would be able to pass it on. The reason sometimes is because we look at our lives and go, okay, what is the context of this passage? Is it about me being a beneficiary, or me being someone who is supposed to pass it on? The answer is both. Because you recognize that you are a beneficiary of the spiritual heritage, you now pass it on. That's Paul's challenge to Timothy. And how do we do this? To guard our deposit. First thing in guarding, sorry, there are three things about guarding our deposit. First one is to be unashamed. The second one is to share in suffering. And the third one is to follow the pattern. All taken from 2 Timothy chapter 8 all the way to 13. First one, be unashamed. Be unashamed of what? Two things that Paul tells Timothy. First one is be unashamed of the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed about the story of who, of, of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Do not be ashamed of that. Some of you, when you hear this, you go, Romans, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Very famous passage of what Paul's principle is in his position about the gospel he says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for it, in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith you want to understand faith you want to understand a faith that lasts generations it comes in the power of the gospel And if you're ashamed of the power of the gospel, then there's no faith to begin with. But when you have that faith, when you experience the power of the gospel in your own life, and how it saved you, how it raised you up. We we sang this today, laid my feet on solid ground. And what the gospel has done for you in your own life, your own journey, your own testimony, be unashamed of it. Be unashamed of the power of the gospel not just for your life, but for the salvation of the people that you will speak to, the people who will hear the gospel coming out of your mouths. Be unashamed. And here's the promise. When you say that I am unashamed of the gospel, you're saying the gospel is very valuable to me. That's the kicker. How valuable is the gospel to you? Is it more valuable than your reputation? Is it more valuable than your finances? Is it more valuable than your visions of life, your dreams, your aspirations? Is it more valuable? Because if it is, then you will not be ashamed of it. It's very easy for us to just tell the world this is what i dream this is my career ambition this is what i love to do this is what i hope for this is this are my aspirations and we're not ashamed of it but will we say the same about the gospel from where we have been saved it says when we are not ashamed of the gospel we say it the gospel is very valuable to me even if i'm ridiculed by it even if i suffer for it it is so valuable to me the second thing that paul says is do not be ashamed of your spiritual heritage he says do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord nor of me his prisoner so don't be ashamed of me i'm in prison and by the way paul was in prison at that point so i'm in prison and people may laugh at me people may make jokes about me people may say this this, this faith or this move that Paul is a part of is, is going down the drain. He's already in prison, what? You, Timothy, don't be ashamed about it. Be proud of it. Stand with me. Support me. Encourage me. Stand firm. Don't be ashamed of where I am at right now. Because the gospel is very valuable to me. And I will be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the promise in Mark chapter 8, verse 38 is this that if we are ashamed of Jesus and his words in his generation, of him will the Son of Man, Jesus, be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But if you flip it the other way, he stands for you. If you're unashamed of the gospel, Jesus stands in. in in intercession, in mediation for you. And if that's what Jesus does, shouldn't we as well? When one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. It's not like the big toe decides to dislocate itself and say, I'm not part of the body because I don't want it to hurt. No. The whole body hurts. The whole body stands with the people of God in suffering. In persecution we would not be ashamed of each other we will not be ashamed of the spiritual heritage that we have why why should we not be ashamed why should we be unashamed 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 says I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed that's the first one I know whom I have believed second one it says I'm convinced I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me what i hold my 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 calling my gospel the gospel my calling the purposes god will see it through till the end so why do i need to be ashamed of it i am convinced and i know that god is with me and god will see it come to pass so i have no reason to be ashamed the second one that paul tells timothy is this share in suffering second timothy same verse one verse eight says but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of god there's a long explanation from verse 9 to verse 11 about this gospel about what he was called to do and why he's in chains but essentially it is this he suffers because he was appointed teacher apostle and preacher of the good news that good news is the one we've all heard the grace in jesus christ manifested when our savior came to earth abolished death gave life and because of that we are called to present this good news to the world and which is what paul says he was doing as a teacher an apostle and a preacher but that's the reason why he's in chains but i want to just express this to you when we say suffering oftentimes we think about suffering as perhaps physical or perhaps getting ridiculed, or perhaps uh, just, just these outside forces that are stopping you or hindering you or preventing you or causing hurt to you while you present the gospel, while you fulfill God's purposes over your life. But how Paul describes it to Timothy is slightly different. I would say this. Suffering is discipline. And the reason why I say that is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He says, share in suffering, that same phrase, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Point about that is this. It is not so much about what the world throws at you, it is about how focused you are in pleasing the one who enlisted you Christ Jesus has enlisted all of us when we say yes to Jesus because of what he has done we also said that he will be our Lord and our master and we follow him and we commit our lives to Jesus and when we do whatever the world throws at us or whatever the world tempts us to do whatever the world distracts us away from that we endure suffering by saying this I will be focused I will be disciplined to do what God has called me to do. It's not just in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Paul tells Timothy, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Same phrase, suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Focus on it. Focus on it. As you go, there will be things that will be thrown at you. There will be things to draw you away from it. But be focused. And there are times when the, th- the, things that of- the things of this world, getting rid of it for different, pa- different ones of us, have different thresholds of suffering. Some of you, you've done this for years and you're like, huh, really? Uh, unsubscribe Netflix? Can lah, no big deal. But for some of you, oh, big deal. As far as Paul is concerned, it doesn't matter whether it's a big deal or not a big deal. The point is this, can you focus on what God has called you to do? Can you focus on the gospel? Can you focus on living your life for our Lord Jesus Christ? Can you do that and please the one who enlisted you, our Lord Jesus? And whatever those things that you've got to lay aside, whether it's going to be so painful or not as painful, can you discipline yourself into pursuing what God has called us to do? While suffering may look different for each of us, we may all have different thresholds, the call is to remain focused, continue in what we have been taught. Please God and fulfill the work He has given us. And the last one is this. Follow the pattern. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you, church, you don't have to reinvent the wheel when you become a believer you join a spiritual heritage that has lasted for generations people who have gone through the highs and the lows in fact one very wise king said there is nothing new under the sun and so the things that you have learned the patterns of life the patterns of 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 journeying with God and the principles that come with it, all the ways in which we can learn to relate with God, these are things that we learn to follow. Follow the pattern from the sound words we have heard, whether from your spiritual parents, whether from natural parents who will also be passing on this spiritual heritage heritage to you. But regardless, it's all in the Word of God. And if you have heard sound words from this pulpit and you've checked it again with the authority of Scripture, And you say this is sound i will follow it there is a pattern for you to follow it's like imitating jesus christ it is imitating jesus christ and we have the holy spirit to guide us into all truth so when we read scripture and we're not sure what that means we ask the holy spirit teach me teach me and he will that's his promise he will teach you he will guide you and then you follow the pattern Some of you may come and ask me, Pastor, you give me all these directions. Be unashamed. Share in suffering. Follow the pattern. Actually, uh, those three things you can answer any question like how to follow Jesus, one, two, three. How to be a good Christian, one, two, three. How to um, live your life, committed in your life to Jesus, one, two, three. What does this have to do with building a faith that will last generations? maybe we should talk about how we minister to youth or how we pray for our children maybe we should talk about that we talk about faith at last generations and yes do those things i'm not saying don't but here's the question that comes to me when the next generation asks what does a jesus follower look like what does a jesus follower look like who are they going to see you And if you've built a faith where you've guarded this deposit that God has given you by being unashamed of the gospel, by saying, I will share in the suffering of the body of Christ, by saying that I will follow the pattern of what I've learned from Scripture, what I've learned and has been passed on from generation to generation, you are showing these people, the next generation, that you have a faith worth living, worth fighting, worth dying for. You're telling them this faith is more valuable than anything else in all creation. And it is this faith that holds me close to God. And if you tell this to the next generation, that they will understand. We can talk about lights and sound and and, and ways in which we do this video or that video and, and, and all that kind of thing. But my heart's desire is that when the next generation comes and worships with us, They leave this hall not thinking, wow, that was awesome. That was a good worship. But they leave this auditorium knowing, I've worshipped with a community of people who have built a faith that is so strong, so valuable, so powerful. They would give their life for it. They would live their life for it. That's what they're going to carry outside. So the reason why I say this is a faith that lasts generations is because this is a faith that we hold on to so strongly. We guard it. We guard it fiercely. We guard it fearlessly. I'm going to end with an encouragement from Paul to Timothy. Another familiar passage to us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 to 7. It says, For this reason, having gone through the generations, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know that phrase, you know what God did not give, you know what God gave. And that is very true. But for the purpose of living out a faith that lasts generations, for the purpose of guarding our deposit, for the purpose of being unashamed of the gospel, there is no fear. For the purpose of enduring suffering, there is no fear. There is only power, love, and self-control by the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. When you want to follow the pattern and that pattern is countercultural to the pattern of this world, you are doing this by the power, love, and self-control that the Spirit does inside of you. Church, can I just invite you to rise? even as we worship God, I want us to just rededicate our lives to Jesus. My heart's desire is that the next generation and my children will look at my life and my wife's life and go, my parents lived out a faith that was so valuable to them. But not just my physical children, All of us, as we pass on this legacy of faith to the next generation, when we say you must come to church and they say, Why? i got better things to do. You can say, because God is worth it. God is worth my worship. And they may not agree with you. They may say, I still want to do the other better thing that I think I prefer to do. But when they look at you, they know this father, or this mother, or this uncle, or this auntie, or this older brother of mine, is very clear that God is worth his life. And he will do all it takes to honour God, worship God, glorify God. So I like the song, and we're going to sing where he says, God, I love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. So let's just worship God together and just honor Him and say, God, this is what I'm going to do. This is my life given to you. In Jesus' name. going to declare this, but before I declare it, you know this declaration, this blessing. The reason why God told Moses to declare this blessing to the people of Israel is by declaring so, he says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. By declaring this blessing, What I want to say is that the name of God will be imprinted on your hearts and will be lived out and reflected in your lives. And God will bless you. God will give you the strength to endure. God will give you the spirit of power and of love and of self-control so that you build this faith That God has blessed you with. And guard this deposit as you walk out of this room. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, we claim it, we declare it rely on it as your name is lifted up as your name is imprinted on our hearts in jesus name we pray amen amen god bless you church